0: Give us free.
1: Give us free.
0: Eastland episode 69 and it's Monthly Madness, it's me Gary Parsons and as usual it's the Prof Carroll. hello there. So we're going to hold off our review of the Dairy Game until next week's show and we're going to cover the AGM and the five episode that we're hosting on Saturday as well. So like I said it's Monthly Madness and we are still sponsored by Penny Hill carrio and they have provided us some lovely beers today and uh, so if you are interested in a bit of a craft beer, some world beer, head down to Pennyhill hill Cario, and they look after you. So we have a Rovers and League of Ireland legend here today uh, Former goalkeeper Alan O'Neill And one of the few men to play over 500 games And only Rovers player to ever win All three domestic trophies The League of Ireland FAI Cup And the League Cup So uh, you're very welcome to Johnny Blues Al. Thanks very much
1: lads it's a Pleasure to be here
0: What do you think of the memorabilia on the wall?
1: <laughs> very impressed Alright I don't know where you have got it The only one thing as I say is downside is I don't see any picture of me here But anyway <laughs> Uh, i'll forgive you for that very very impressive obviously mad rover supporters green blood as they say but uh yeah loved you. love your studio we did have one picture from uh the 90s but it was gino brazil who
2: was featured not even Derry tracy not Alan o'neill just gino brazil
1: Gino know i
2: Records.
1: gino and peter records
2: so uh yeah terry everson couldn't make it today unfortunately for those wondering uh so big al is gone solo today so uh,
0: we're going to talk a little bit about um, the origins of your career, you could say. And while playing with St Malachy's schoolboys, you came to the attention of Liam Tui, who brought you into
1: the Shamrock Rovers youth setup. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I, I played with St Malachy's in Edenmore. Uh, I was from our time yourself, but I played in Moore. And for one night a week, we used to have Liam Toohey used to take us for gym training. Uh, and I was, I, th- I think it was under sixteen level and he obviously was getting word of how I was doing for, for Malachys and then I remember one Sunday evening I think I was studying for me, Leaving Cert, I'm not sure, in the front room and I noticed this man coming up the driveway and the man was Shay Noonan who was um, a Rover Scout and he came up and talked to me, Mum and Dad and as it turned out, he was a friend of me, Dad he would played, played football with me, Dad but he invited me along to Rovers the following season uh, and that's how it all began
0: was there ever any interest from abroad at a young age, at uh, English clubs, or did you ever go on trials anywhere?
1: No, never, never. No, I only ever played schoolboy football here, and then straight to Rovers. Now I had a Gaelic background too. Um, I went. To, I was connected with St Vincent's, a very famed side North County, Dubl- or North Dublin uh, GAA club, and I had big origins there. I played a lot of GAA. I played minor football for Dublin. But I, one of the greatest things that happened to me was when I was in primary school. Um, I went to school where we Marino and it was a big Gaelic ethos in the school. But we had a Christian brother who was way ahead of his time. Not all negative things about clergy and religious. This Christian brother was a football man through and through. And he taught me an awful lot. Admittedly, I was only 12 years of age. But um, we trained every single day after school for 12-year-olds, ele- for every single day after school. 11 o'clock break in the morning when everyone was out charging around the yard we were having team meetings so that instilled in me what was required to 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 reach the top i mean you need luck as well um but th- i knew that if you wanted to be the best you could be you had to give it everything and that's where it all started for for me i, I still look back fondly on my time in primary school and say yeah that's where it began for me i knew if you want to be if you want to be successful, if you want to be the best you can be, you have to give the best yourself. So that's how it all started for me.
0: Um was there anyone in that team in primary that went on to play football at a high level like yourself as well?
1: No, no, no. None of them played for Dublin. I think I was the only one who played minor football. Uh, I played minor football for Dublin and even that at the time I was playing for Rovers. So it was against the grain. No, none of them went on, but Learned a hell of a lot it was just uh, I still look back and think about things that that Christian brother did as a manager and how we played teams older than us um how we, he, he actually sent us out to lose a game because he knew we were going to meet this team in the final hockey them in the final so like these are all little things that psychological things which are way ahead of his time way way ahead of his time I remember we used to have salt drinks at training for half time and the whole thing thinking back then was salt gave you stopped you from getting cramp and gave you energy. Now I don't know whether I think it's probably been proven me- medically since that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But there, that that was the type of stuff he did. So you were just you ate, drank, and slept uh, football from the. And it didn't matter to me whether at the time whether I was playing GAA or whether I was playing soccer. Um, I just wanted to be the best that I could be and that's where it all started for me then as I say we went on went on to uh, Rovers Youth Team no there was no, no interest whatsoever from uh, English clubs I think as a goalkeeper I was just barely just under 6 foot they weren't really interested unless you were about 6'2 six 6'3 six, six there weren't interested. so no there was no one I, there was no uh, interest
0: and you made your senior debut for Rovers at Milltown in December in around Christmas time 1975 a one nil win over Cork Hibernians tell us what do you, what you remember about that were you nervous going into it or do you remember the
1: day leading up to it in the, in the morning
0: everything tell us what you had for
1: breakfast I, remember well. <laughs> I do remember it well yeah I got word I, I think it was on the Friday night that um, Pat, was in, Pat Dunn was the, the number one at the time Pat was injured and um, I was told that I was going to be playing Normally at that stage I'd play, you'd have a B-team game a Saturday night and you went out to the local disco on a Saturday night and then you... Toop's Club No, I was a Northside, Toop's mm-hmm. Club was much too far away for me but um, I remember my father who was, who played League of Ireland too, he played for Shelbourne, he also played and go for Dublin, um, he said I don't want you to change any of your preparations, you're going to the disco tonight which was against everything I stood for ever since, he said I want you to relax. Do what you normally do. I'll pick you up at eleven o'clock. You'll be home, in bed, and ready for the match the next day. And that's that's how I remember preparing for it. The game itself, I don't remember a whole lot. I remember a lad called Ken Legros scored a winner. He was a an ex Cherry Orchard player. Um, that season we had signed a load of uh, players from the from Cherry Orchard. Jackie Jemison was one of them. John Bourke went on to play. Jimmy McNevel went on to play for for the first team. Um. I don't remember a whole lot about the game but I do remember it was a clean sheet and that was all that I was interested in
2: You mentioned Pat Dunn there that's the keeper you replaced he was a big fan's favourite even used to take penalties long before Brendan Clarke used to do it for St Pat so mm.
1: what was it like replacing him? He was always one of my favourites <laughs> um, I was a Rover supporter growing up I was from the north side I remember coming over seeing them great Rovers Waterford games in the late 60s uh, those old enough will remember getting the bus in at the uh, in at Hawkins House, the 44, the 45. Or there were actually specials, football specials out to Milltown. Uh, Pat was one of my favourites because Pat done the two things that I always wanted to do. One was to play for Shamrock Rovers growing up, and the other was to play for Manchester United. So he was my hero. Um, so replacing him, yeah, it was it was daunting. It was daunting, and I was competed with him for uh, two, three years. But like that's football, you've got to conquer them. Uh, little trials and tribulations that are sent along the way but the respect i had for him and his his achievements as a goalkeeper i do remember the penalties taken i also remember a famous day he was sent off in milltown with john carpenter refereeing. when he <laughs> he got the i think there was there was a bit of bit of an edge going on between pat and john carpenter and pat uh, got the ball passed back to him dribbled it across the box picked it up again this was long before the days so of four steps three steps anything then dribbled it back across the uh the, the box with john carpenter by his side put it down again and dribbled it back and then proceeded to kick it out of the ground with that uh the red card was produced and pat was sent to the stand um, and <laughs> So yeah, Pat was one of my heroes. Another one was Mick Smith at the time. They were they were the two great League of Ireland goalkeepers. Uh, Pat had come back from England at that stage. I think Pat had left Manchester United, went to Plymouth Argyle, and then he came home. And then Mick, Mick, who was a, a League of Ireland legend as well, um, he was another top top goalkeeper at the time. So yeah, daunting. It was daunting to replace Pat, but look, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to move on with my career, and you have to do what you have to do, and you learn. And that's the way it happened.
2: So talk about when uh, John Giles took over as manager. It was 1977. Talk about the speculation around when he was appointed and then when he was made manager.
1: Yeah, I don't remember much about the speculation. I uh, uh, heard it was in the offing and then the whole thing at, uh, at Louis Kilcoyne who was basically the, the front man for the Kilcoyne brothers running rovers. He was a brother-in-law of Gilesy's. Um so we knew it was happening. And then it did happen. So it was... It was kind of surreal because here was Johnny Giles, in our eyes, a god who played in the English First Division, as it was then, managed, was the Irish international, was Irish international manager. He was someone who was kind of, it was a surreal experience meeting John for the first time. Um, an incredible experience because he, he changed everything completely. The first thing was the state at the Milltown pitch. That was, uh, I remember playing on, on matches where you'd see where we had trained on Thursday night was one drill where you used to use a dice and do it around the circle and you put the dice b- back in the middle and go out and you'd come out and there'd be figures you could see the shape of the training session from the previous Thursday so Milltown was brought up to standard and the playing surface was was what it should be for teams playing football and then a totally different professional attitude he brought in and um, there was full-time training Uh, not for me i was still a part-time i was at that stage i was working in the i'd start to work in the civil service so i wasn't he had a balance between full-time players and part-time players Um, and he married the two for a few years that wasn't his intention i think his his intention at the time was that everyone would be full-time but uh it was done and there was part-time and full-time players but when john came in i was still number two pat was number one goalkeeper at the time so but it was still this was a great opportunity for us to learn from the very very best uh, and yeah it was an exciting time at milltown yeah how did they distinguish between part-time and full-time was that a personal choice or was it the choice of the manager and the, and the staff at the time yeah i think there, w- there was an understanding there was an acknowledgement say the likes of myself uh, and old synod Robbie Gaffney another we were we were all had jobs and good jobs and uh, I think John understood that uh, there would be a transition period into his plans at the time I know he did want to go everyone full time so he, he knew there was a transition involved and he allowed us that facility but it meant then that sort of the, the full time players would train obviously every day we'd come in on our Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday and, and they would on them days the full time players would train with us so that's how the, the whole training regime was, was married in together but uh yeah exciting times to wear that was supposed to be the change of everything because like the talk at the time was rovers competing in europe and full-time setup and you know that was they were the the exciting times and they were the plans at the time They never as we know it they never materialized but at the time it was very very exciting what do you remember most
0: of the training sessions were they
1: were they different
0: to anything you've ever had before because of the professionalism that joels would have brought to rovers
1: no there wasn't a huge difference because i've been i've been very i was very unfortunate even at that stage i think john came over 1977 i was 20. i'd already played under two former irish international managers three actually um liam Toohey, sean thomas and mick megan so the quality and the standard of training was always good but if you're only training on a part-time compared to full time the lads training full time would be training regular he would have his different methods than what we did before but everyone has their different methods mm-hmm. there are different methods involved there was no huge difference in that way but the intensity certainly was there the, he had a different outlook on the game he, d- he definitely did I mean he, John wanted to pass, pass, pass the whole time um, and I know uh, in the air, in the, at the early time in, in, in Milton a lot of the, the supporters got, were frustrated by that that we passed and passed and we got caught because we you had young players and probably weren't used to that style of football at the back if you got the ball you just launched it mm. whereas he wanted us to play but exciting times as I say and the FAI
0: Cup win in Joel's four season 1978 tell us a bit about that
1: yeah, that was huge. As I say, I didn't start off as number one that year. Um, Pat started off, played the first two, three games, and then I got word during one of the, a, week, a match leading up to a, sli- uh, to a game against Sligo. Ray Tracy, who was his assistant to John at the time, called me aside and said, "Listen, you're playing Sunday." Now that was a complete shock. I didn't know anything about that. I wasn't expecting that, but it turned out against Sligo, we won one nil again. Another, and I think I got injured in the game. I didn't play the following week. But then the following week, I was fit again, and I was put back in. So that was a huge statement for me from the manager to say, look, I trust you. You had faith in you. Yeah, I trust you. You can go on. You, And that was huge to me. I, we started, I think, in the league, we might have been a top four. Top, I can't remember. We, we certainly d- we didn't. I think Dundalk might have won it that year. But the cup run began, and... Uh, yeah, I remember a big game in Milltown against Finn Harps. We'd gone up to Finn Harps. We drew up there and we brought them back down to Milltown. And I think we were losing 2-1 going into the last minute and Ray got a goal. And then I think we got a, We won 3-2. Mm-hmm. So that was the start. And then Waterford in the semi-final. I think that might have been in Tolker Park. I'm not sure. And then Sligo, the game uh, in Daly Mount Park and the infamous penalty decision that Ray got for us. Which obviously was a definite penalty. Mm. Um I do remember it was a dreadful day. Yeah. Horrible day weather wise. Um but great uh, it was a strange feeling actually having won that because with John with Gilesy and your Dre Tracy and your Damon Dunphy, so there was huge expectations and there was huge pressure. I talked about the way we played and some of the younger lads not I won't say not being up to it but tried to play football all the time they weren't used to that so there was a huge expectation a new pressure from the press that Gilesy had come home we were going to be European Cup champions so there was a huge pressure to do something in the first year and Did he actually say that? No He was reported no, no, saying that No no he, ne- no, he never said that what he would have said is I want to be able to compete I want to set something in motion that will allow us to compete at that level but never no, no, no not at all Um there was a huge expectation, and I felt at the end. I mean, another cup finals I have won, huge elation. My first feeling after we won the cup in '78 was relief, nearly, that we didn't let him down because he was he was he was a great man to play for. He was, really was. He, while he wanted you to play a certain way, and there was pressure on you to play that way, he didn't. He would never. He gave everyone a fair chance. Like lads got in and played would never after the first game decide look you're not up to it. good look you'd get your four or five games if you could do it you stayed in if you didn't you were gone down but you got your fair chance so there was a certain relief i remember and i even remember like how professional he was he was this was after cup final we've just beaten Sligo, one nil uh are fai cup winner meddled, and we went through the game afterwards to see where we had done things wrong the game was analyzed mm-hmm. after the game that was the first few minutes after the cup final and normally champagne bottles would be popping. Joysey was so professional about every single game he played in that you learn about everything you learn about yourself in every game. He went through the game and then we were then we celebrated. So it was it was a strange, surreal experience. But then it was the pressure was on to, to, to push on from there. And I think he made changes the following year. Um I'm not sure what that was the year Johnny Fulham was let go. But um the pressure was on at that stage to push on and start winning leagues. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Is
2: it true that I even he threw away his winner's medal from that game?
1: I don't know. I've read that. I've read that all right. I don't know how true that is. If, if he did, he did. <laughs> I know I have mine up on the wall at home. Um, uh, because it means a hell of a lot to me to, to, to be able to say that you've won an FAI Cup winner's medal. Because if you look at history... There are only so many cup. Uh, there's only so many cup finals. Even 100 cup finals, whatever the numbers are, being there's only 12, 15 lads who get cup winners' medals every year. Uh, to have one of them, you're one. You're in a very, very small few, and in a very elite group and a very privileged group. So, no FAI cup medals are, yeah, special.
2: That was the only league or cup that Rovers won in the 1970s. It was the first cup since the six in a row. So it was obviously really significant for everyone at that time
1: it was yeah and, and like they hadn't uh, I think in the early 70s that got to a playoff in the league um, they were beaten in a playoff I know Pat was playing in it uh, they were beaten in a playoff by Cork Capes but they had done nothing and then I mean I, I had joined Rovers in 1973 and we struggled in the mid 70s and we were actually up for re-election in 75 I think or 76 we had to go for re-election which uh, along with the time we were relegated there a couple about 10-15 years ago that was significant as well. I think that was the stage where the Kilcoins made a the decision they have to change this. Um, so yes, the Cup win of 78 was hugely significant. Uh, with all that had gone just before in the previous years, this was the chance for Rovers to push on again and be successful.
0: And you missed out on playing in Europe for the first time. Uh, you picked up a serious injury in a pre-season tour of Spain. Can
1: tell us about that? What was the injury? <laughs> it was a bruised kidney. Um we went uh, as nearly a reward, actually it was funny. We we went to Spain and um at the time that was what, late seventy eight, nineteen seventy eight. I think you might again your older your older listeners will remember the very famous Ireland versus Brazil. All Ireland game against Brazil in Lansdowne Road. I think we were beaten four three. It's not the game. Um but rovers were marketed on that trip as all the photographs of Derek Dugan, George Best, Johnny Giles uh, were all on photographs around the town so they were all expected to see the likes of George Best and Derek Dugan and then they saw Alan O'Neill and Robbie Gaffney and Nolts in it. much better looking lads I might yeah. say but uh, <laughs> that's the way things were done back then and I think that's how we got the trip but uh, yeah we played in two tournaments, we played one in Seville And then we played another in Burgos, which is northern Spain. And in the second one, we actually won the tournament in Burgos. There was three teams. I don't remember what the teams was. I think Burgos would have been one of them. But I do remember um, playing in the game and a cross came in from my right hand side, went up for it, took it obviously, Mm. but got clattered in the back by their centre forward, a knee in my back as I thought at the time. didn't pay any heed to it. played on. I think that might have been midway through the first half. Played on, and as the as the game wore on, I was just getting sore and sore, and I had no clue what it was. I just thought I'd been a knee in the back. Went in at half time, and Gilesy asked me how I was. I said, oh, great, John." He says, "Well, go in there to the loo." So I passed pure blood, so he knew exactly what it was. Like he he was he knew it was the kidney. So I was carted off to hospital. Uh, spent two weeks in hospital over there. Uh, and then spent another two weeks in hospital, when I came back here to the old Jervis Street Hospital, which is now the Jervis Shopping Centre. So it was uh, it was a dodgy time. I didn't realise how how dodgy it was, because a doctor afterwards told me he said uh, we were talking about taking off half your kidney. It was it was that serious. But thankfully, all was well, and never had any repercussions. But that was the story. Another interesting story, on that one is, mm-hmm. I think it's a safe one to say at this stage, at forty years on. Uh, we travelled. Uh, Louis Kilcoin was in charge. We travelled. At the time, security in airports weren't as tight as they are now. Yeah. There was a there was a there was a I think a group of about twenty-five. We had twenty-four tickets, and we managed to get from Dublin to London, from London to Seville, and Seville to Burgos on twenty-four tickets. When you came up to the, well, you bunked someone in. Every who time. was that who was that one <laughs> who was the chancellor it, it didn't matter who it was but he was bunked in and that, that was the plan and uh, we were only found out on the, the plane journey from Seville to Burgos because the plane was full so they started to count <laughs> everyone was sitting and there was one there was uh, one left over so the air stewardess started to count check tickets and of course Louis was in charge and Louis had all the tickets And uh, the word was going around the plane. You know, they were obviously mainly Spanish. It was an internal flight, so they're mainly Spanish. You'll get caught now. You'll get. And the word back was always no habar fuckle, no habar fuckle. Don't say a word. And eventually they gave up counting and they brought a young lad from one of the, the passengers and brought him up to the cockpit and he flew all the way in the cockpit up to Burgos. And as it turned out, as I was left behind in Burgos, they got from Burgos back to Dublin on 24 tickets so there's a good
0: start <laughs> and your dad Robert played for Shelbourne and your younger brother Dermot was with you at Rowers in the 70s and he played for the reserve team before going to have a long career with Bowes and and Derry um, th- tell us a bit about your dad playing for Shelbourne did, did it have a
1: big influence on you? my dad <laughs> well I, it didn't because I wouldn't have seen him play he played for, and I, he didn't play that long for Shelbourne my dad was around the time of the ban and he played Gaelic and he played soccer Um he played for Parnells in Gaelic and he played for a lot of gym, he played for Baldoyle he played for Killester, big junior teams and he played a couple of games for Shelburne didn't play a whole lot but he played a couple of I've been told afterwards that he could have been he could have been a very very good player um, but he, w- he didn't have the dedication let me and endear my hat. Um he liked a good time he liked a few beers and and uh, he could have a, a very interesting story again. I like stories now. This time, at this stage of my life, I can rega- rega- go ahead. Rega- go ahead. Stories. Yeah. Um, I remember doing a, a, a school. At, there was fundraiser for one of my old schools, Arts College in Griffith Avenue, and we had a meeting in the Saint Vincent's JIA Club, and uh, went up for a drink into the bar afterwards. And at the end of the bar was Kevin Heffernan, the very, very famous Dublin footballer and manager and probably if you were to talk about the best managers ever in uh, GAA, himself Mick O'Doire and probably Jim Gavin now you would be mentioning. So this was a hero of mine as well Kevin Heffernan and uh, I was with an old school teacher of mine and I said oh there's Kevin Heffernan at the end of the bar he says oh yeah, He says, would you like to meet him I said yeah I'd love to meet him. Now at this stage I think I'd finished playing so I'd had my career um, so I went up to meet Kevin Heffernan and the teacher said, this is Alan O'Neill. Oh, he says, he says, you're Robbie's son, aren't you? And that to me was just huge. That here was the, you know, probably at the time, the greatest GAA manager ever. And the first thing he remembered was that I was Robbie's son. Mm. And that meant a hell of a lot to me. Um, that he obviously knew of my father. and knew how good my father was and probably how how good he could have been. But that's the way it was. He chose and he was happy. Then as you mentioned Dermot, Dermot. No, you mentioned about the. I mentioned you mentioned about the injury in Spain. As a result of that, Dermot actually ended up on the bench. He was reserve to Hendo, Dave Henderson in the second. We played Banik Ostrava. We played two games. I think the first game was against Apoel Nicosia, and Josie signed John Osborne from West, an, an old goalkeeper. of His from West Brom. He played in the first two games, and then I think he broke his finger. So for the second game, uh, maybe, um, I can't remember why he didn't play in the second game, but Hendo played the second game, and Dermot was on the bench. So that's how it all started. He started at the the U team up in Rovers, and then Dermot decided, he said, we're not going to compete for the same jersey, because as you know, we goalkeeper, only one can play. So he decided it was time for him to move on. And he moved on to Dundalk. He played for Dundalk and he was involved in that famous Dundalk Linfield game. Um, and I was at the game it's th- where all the rioting was from the Linfield. We had Mick yeah. here in the, yeah. in
0: the studio not too long ago and he was telling us all about it. Yeah. So it was really intimidating. Hugely. And there was a
1: big programme. There was a programme done. Satanta done a programme on it there recently in the last couple of years. I've seen it several times. But Dermot was on the bench that day. Richie Blackmore played. Dermot was spent two years up in Dundalk. Couldn't displace Richie, one of the greats, Uh, and then his chance came when Billy Young was building a side at Bowes, and he joined Bowes, and and he done very. Bowes were at the time, they were near the the nearly team. They were beaten twice in the cup. I know there would be a great deal of satisfaction among Rover supporters Mm. that they were beaten twice in the cup. Obviously, from a family point of view, I wanted them to win. Um, They were also second in the league. they were they were just the nearly team and they were great young sides. There was Rocky O'Brien, Geno Lawless, uh, Jack McDonough played there, Doolar played there. So they were a really good side but he started off there and done really, really well before he moved on then. I think he moved on to Derry after that.
0: And um, how do you look back on the Joels era, his six seasons in charge? Could you sum it up or how do you look back on it?
1: I look back on it on. it brought me on it was a, a huge turning point in my career um, because while he was there, he also brought me into the international squad. Um, so he he took a gamble on me, he took a chance on me. We had the, the established, well-proven Pat Dunn uh, who was getting older and he took a chance on me, uh, believed in me and uh, I'd like to think I repaid this faith in me. But he gave me opportunities that probably I would never have got. I mean, to be involved at the international level, playing League of Ireland at the time was, was huge. Um, so, from a personal point of view, he had a huge impact on my career. Um, the way he looked at the game, the way he looked, analysed the game, I learned hugely. From an overall point of view, from a Rovers point of view, I think you'd look back upon it as a a, t- um, a trial, a test, that just didn't come off uh, a plan that didn't just didn't materialize he had hoped to do something different to improve the game here but i suppose the money just wasn't there for it and and with all of these things money is huge you know the money just wasn't there to to finance the project that's required to bring it into a, a competitive level and we're still chasing that that, that goal but um, overall yeah i'd say it was a plan that just didn't—it was a uh, it gave us all hope. Yeah, it did. It was a plan that just didn't materialise.
2: What did you make of uh, the League of Ireland's resistance in general to Jaws' attempt to to up the standards in professionalism? Like, were you aware of all that at the time? What was going on?
1: I won't say there was a resistance. No, there wasn't resistance because who'd who'd start to be against improving pitches, improving the quality of the football? I think um, at the time, there was a very... Dundalk were the the top team. Jim McLaughlin was at Dundalk and they were the top, top team. Wily old players. Mick Lawler, you mentioned. There was Mick Lawler, Paddy Dunning, Tommy McConville, Dare McKeely. Wily old professionals who knew how to win games. Um, So, like, we were trying to pass the ball and pass the ball. As I was saying, younger lads got caught and sort of people then looked upon. it. Hey, look, this ain't working. This isn't going to work. But when you try to change anything it doesn't change overnight so there was resistance was probably resistance to the way we wanted to play but you talk about it if you look at nowadays people want to see more football they don't just want to see it launched up the middle of the park they want to see people playing football and he tried to change it and that's not to say Dundalk dog didn't play football. Dundalk were a magnificent side at the time. You had some great, as I mentioned, the players. You had also Pop Flanagan who could play. Mick Fair, Clough, Carl They were a great side. But Giles, you tried to do something different. Um, it didn't happen quick enough. And then I suppose it was decided it wasn't going to happen.
2: And that's the way it is. That's life. So we're in uh, 1983 now. John Giles is the party of the club. So Rovers fans were shocked when uh, Jim McLaughlin took over as manager and uh, you left Rovers so is it true that a
1: misunderstanding developed between mm. you two and what was it about? <laughs> yeah I joined Rovers in 73 I left them in 83 and I rejoined them in 93 83 yeah at that stage I'd been playing in the league of I'd played for League of Ireland teams under Jim I remember the previous year 82 we went to New Zealand uh, spent three weeks in New Zealand magnificent trip so when Jim took over in 1983 I was exci- as excited as anyone else uh, looking forward to a new challenge, looking forward to playing under Jim because I had played under him, uh, loved, uh, really enjoyed playing under him and respected him. Yeah, a un- misunderstanding. It was a misunderstanding. Um, I remember the day I went in to meet him, the first day as he was manager, I was meeting all the players. And I'd been there a few years at the time uh, and I looked for a rise. <laughs> I think I looked for a 5 rise uh, And I don't think Jim liked that. <laughs> think jim then started to think that i was only interested in money that i wasn't playing for the love of the game or the love of the club that so i was your first meeting you have them you ask yeah. them for a raise well this <laughs> was no you were negotiating a new contract right. it wasn't it wasn't no sorry he wasn't meeting them for a chat and say oh by the way i want a, a five or a rise no it wasn't like that at all you were negotiating for the for the following season uh, and uh, i don't think jim was too impressed and as i say the misunderstanding was one me going in probably with the wrong attitude um, hindsight's a great thing and then Jim sort of well I'll show this so-and-so who's the boss here and like when a new manager comes in as well and I've seen it down through the years you have to make a statement statements have to be made as to who the boss is I'd been at Rovers I mean I was still only what, 25 26 I was at Rovers 10 years and maybe you become complacent you think you're this is your club it's never your club you know, as a player, you're always at the whim of a manager. The manager is the boss. Um, maybe I took it for granted what I had. Uh, and Jim, as I said, taught that I was a money grabber, which I never was. <laughs> Um, I don't think I had had a rise in the previous three years and that's how I think and then it was coming from a, he was coming from Dundalk background where there was nearly strikes up in Dundalk over players not being paid for European games there was, I remember there was one game Dundalk were involved in where they weren't going to play they'd gone abroad and I told them they weren't going to play so I thought I was within my rights but look, mistakes were made, both sides As I, the misunderstanding was I thought I could get a rise Jim thought I was a money grabber uh, I'm happy to say that it wasn't long it wasn't long after that. I mean, I left for UCD for two years, but Jim was picking me for League of Ireland selections within twelve months again. There was never, there was never anything said for for years afterwards. As, uh, we never sat down and said, you know, what were you thinking, Jim? What were you thinking, Alan? We ne but there was an understanding and there was a respect between the both of us that look, what happened? is football. It happens, and it it, it happened again later on, but. You know you just got to take these things on the chin they say in football there are no friends and probably there aren't there aren't but you learn that you got to learn that you know it's a tough game to play as well uh you have to take the knocks but uh one of the the loveliest things that happened to me afterwards i remember many years later jim was being featured on a program on rte des cahill used to do features with different uh sports people Uh, And Jim was the the one in question. And I remember I was going out to play golf or somewhere and Des introduced the programme and he said, and tonight's guest is Jim McLaughlin. So I pulled into the side of the road. I was on my way out to the golf club and I pulled in and said, I'll listen to this, see what Jim has to say. And on the programme, um, I remember uh, Des mentioned about uh, the successful team he had and the great players he had there. And Jim said he said i never made mistakes he said about all the great players and des was kind of saying Do you know how you pick players here and there and he says yeah he says i was very lucky he says i never made many mistakes about players but he said one player i did make a mistake about was alan o'neill and i'm sitting in the car and <laughs> and i just stopped i did i knew the was as i say that there was a respect there always was a respect between the two of us but for him to come out on radio and say that uh, it meant a hell of a lot to me I, I got quite emotional i was sitting there in the car on my own and uh, so there was never any animosity after that we we always had a good good banter between us and you know i can still say that we anytime i'd go up to the dock and the dock and jim is there yeah we'd be there and having a chat
0: and uh, how aware were you of the uproar that your departure caused at milltown and you were placed do we replaced a long-time favorite and club legend with a rookie goalkeeper and Jody Bourne. Were you aware of the uproar?
1: I was. Yeah, I was. Uh, a rookie goal. You see, everyone has to start somewhere. Jody had to start somewhere. Uh, I started when Pat Bourne. I replaced Pat Bourne, so I knew all about it. Um, I knew about the uproar. I knew the fans weren't happy. I knew because I knew any time I played in Milltown with UCD, or we actually, ironically enough. Um, that season was Rovers against UCD in the Cup Final uh, and I was playing for UCD and the reception before the game I will never ever forget it uh, they, there was a chant I used to have before games that the supporters used to chant my name uh, and before the Cup Final we lined up in the centre of the pitch in Daly Mount Park so you had Rovers on one side and me and UCD on the other side and the Rovers supporters down the shed end uh, started to sing Alan, Alan and I presumed it was Alan Campbell that he had taken over the mantle, but it wasn't. It was me, and that meant a hell of a lot to me, a hell of a lot to me. There are little things. I mean, football is a it's a tough game. It's a, people say we're mercenaries now, well. but the, the the things that happen to you down through your careers they, that stay with you, and that was a moment that will always stay with me. The, the recognition, uh, and afterwards when we won, UCD. Created one of the greatest shocks, and so many Rover supporters came up to me, congratulating me afterwards. So that was huge. Yeah, I was aware. I was aware.
0: And uh, you went to UCD, like we said, and you got a tremendous reception from our supporters when you did play in the eighty-four Cup, and uh, it was a massive upset. Uh, you were a man of the match in both games, the replay and the original game.
1: Okay. And you know, it was a game I, I wasn't going to be playing. The previous week. um And this is down to a Bose player that I ended up playing, my brother Dermot. The previous Sunday, UCD, UCD we put together a very good side. Tony O'Neill put together a very good side, experienced side. There was myself, Robbie Gaffney, Paddy Dunning, uh, and then there was a few very good students. You know, like Joe Hanrahan, Martin Morden, Keith Dignam. So a lot of good, Ken O'Doherty, a lot of good players. We don't. I think we finished top four, maybe top four or five in the league. But we had done particularly well in the cups. There was a shield competition that year. We finished in the fight We we played the final in the shield and we qualified for the FAI Cup final. But the shield final was the week before the cup final, and uh, I played in that. But I went over my ankle, and it was quite bad, quite sore, very inflamed. Didn't train all week at the cup final. It was on the treatment table the whole week. Went in for training train, and the match was on the Sunday, obviously. Uh, went in for training on Saturday morning. Uh, had a little bit of a run on it, and I turned to Tony O'Neill, and I said, no, I can't play. I can't play on this. He said, okay, he says, we'll say nothing. We won't say anything, he said. We've a young lad in goal, Paul Brogan, I think was the reserve goalkeeper. He said, he'll be playing, so we won't say anything, so he can have a decent night's sleep before the match, and he's not mm-hmm. worried about it so I went home anyway I lived out I had, wasn't long married I think I was, oh no, I was a couple of years married all right, but I was living out in Dunbar, Uh and the night before the game Dermot came out and uh, I said Damn I'm not playing tomorrow he said what do you mean you're not playing I said I can't play the ankle he said you have to play he said you don't have a choice in this you have to play but I said I, He said, what if he straps it up you know what you're like you'll play through it
0: did they have injections or painkillers back then yeah they
1: did and they, l- they lashed him they into you they, they did <laughs> it's the cup final you do huh? so this is 7 o'clock in the evening he says you have to play it. no question you're playing tomorrow in the end of story ring Tony O'Neill up now tell him you want to see him in Capel Street where he had offices and you want to be treated again in I went more treatment following, mor- following day lined out and no one was aware of this no one was I remember Ger Canning was commentating on the final had been out uh, watching us train on the Saturday morning at that stage there was no word i was playing as far as he was concerned so there was nothing said other than that i might get a painkiller injection and i did get a painkiller injection uh before the match and uh was it was going okay i was playing like, yeah i don't okay there, wa- there wasn't a, it was a brutal game I, I think man the match is better than okay <laughs> no no it wasn't actually there was only two saves i made in the whole game it was that bad a game it was a terrible game and the pitch was dreadful daily mount that day it was again you could see the patches where they tried to water it was terrible there was nothing much in in the game. I think I made two saves, which obviously were very important. But coming near the end of the game, Yankel got quite sore all right. But uh, it didn't matter. I, I played the game. And then the following Friday, we played in Tolga Park. Yankel was ground down. But, uh, yeah, great news.
0: So we've got a, uh, some fans' questions now. Yeah. This one is from Anto Matthews, long-time Rovers fan. He said, ask Alan about his night in Gullison Park. <laughs> that was at
1: UCD as well. That was a see things
0: happen he'd be, uh, he'd be a big Everton, Everton fan as well it, right. and he and uh, big Rawlers fan and he yeah. he went on about this
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. for for <laughs> hours <laughs> was it was a him. great
1: but it's funny like you, you talk about like I had to leave Rovers in 83 and I did and things happen for, for a reason sometimes Everton went on to win it that year didn't they they won it yeah, yeah. Everton did but from from a personal point of view I'd gone out. I'd left Rovers. I had to go and prove myself all again. I said I was there for ten years a row, and you, you find, kind of think you're part of the furniture. Suddenly, I'm 26 years of age. I have to. You've got to go out and say, "Hey, I've got to prove myself all over again. I've got to re-establish mm. myself," you know. And UCD was huge in that. But Goodison Park, we we played them here in tolka Park. Uh, packed tolka Park. It was ten thousand tolka Park. Held them to a nil-all draw. Uh, I think Bowes played Rangers that year, and they had a great result. I think Bowles won 3-2 in Dalymount. So, but we were playing Tolkien Park nil all. Again, I don't think we got over half, but we were such a disciplined side at the back. It was all built on our back four. You had Robbie Lawler right back. You had Paddy Dunning, Ken O'Doherty and Martin Morden. And they played as a unit. Superb. Uh, I think there was only two or three times in the game that Everton had a chance to score even. I remember one. player the Everton
0: superstars in that team? Oh, you had,
1: um, Graham Sharp played up front. Neville Southall, Ratcliffe, Mountfield were the two centre backs. Um, so l- Annie Gray, I think, played too. I think so. They had a lot of good, good, good players. They just won. They won the league that sh- that year. They went on to win the league in England and won the European Cup Winners' Cup. So it was huge. Um, so nil all after the first game. We to Goodison and. Uh, Again, we set up on Goodison, set up our back blanket back four. Again, I don't think we got over our defence. We made one mistake, one mistake in the game. Yeah, they, you have to make your saves. As a goalkeeper, you'll always have to make your saves. But I'd always consider them to be bread and butter saves, saves that you should make. Yes. Um, and that's the sign of a good goalkeeper, making them bread and butter saves. But we got caught once for offside, an offside decision, where they got in, squared the ball back, and it was just a pass into the net. And then it was 1-0. And they couldn't get the second. So going into the last fifteen minutes, it meant that if by some incredible chance UCD got a goal, we'd go through to the to the next round. As we had drawn the first game nil all wouldn't you go through and you away goals? Now, <laughs> I know the stories have gone around since that we went really, really close to score We didn't. I remember. I think we'd one chance that went about five yards over the bar. That was the closest. But to even take them to that, and then to watch them progress in the competition all the way through the final and win it and when they look back the team that kept them to the closest score in all the competition was a college team from UCD so that was huge huge great great experience lovely over in Everton we got a great reception from their supporters after the game I remember them applauding us off the park appreciating what we'd done and I remember meeting an old uh, Irish international player who came into the dressing room to me after the game Jimmy O'Neill that's namesake no relation so it was a great, great time. Great, great and great, great memories. And I suppose for old when you get the lads in here, they have what they love talking about is their memories and that's yeah, certainly a huge memory for me. They bothered you guys
2: off the pitch, but I was watching the clip on YouTube earlier, the home fans booed them off the pitch. Well,
1: that's 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 the way it is, you know. They were expected, they were the full time professional team. We were supposedly and I put an in commas, student players, we weren't obviously but, uh, so they appreciated the effort that we had put in and also they expected an awful lot more from their full-time <laughs> professional stars but in fairness to them they went on and showed them why they were, who they were and they, as I said they did win the league that year and they did win the, the European Cup Winners Cup. so a great tribute to us so we could look back very fondly on them two games against Everton
2: I was looking at the results as well only you and the Bayern Munich keeper
1: kept a clean sheet
2: against Everton that entire campaign
1: who was the Bayern Munich keeper? I didn't, I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: uh, And then you went on to Dundalk and had a lot of success there. Yeah,
1: the 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 the, the thing at UCD, we we spent two years there. We two, the first year we won the cup, and I I felt that if we could get two or three players, we could go on and push Rovers because Rovers at that stage they, had, like they had a great great team. Um, Pat Bourne Mick Neville you know they're a great side great side Alan Campbell Liam Buckley up front really good team so I felt we needed two or three players to even challenge them whether we would even be better than them I don't know but um, I think the whole financial thing that hit UCD they realised they couldn't do this we did sign two players but there were two players from Trinity College two student lads no disrespect to them but they weren't the type of players we needed we needed well established players to go on and challenge So I think at the end of that season tony realized look we can't sustain this financially and to be fair to him any of the lads that he signed uh, me robbie gaffney paddy dunning he let them go for nothing Uh, there was a fee involved when he signed me from rovers but he gave me a free transfer so then it was i was at my discretion to see who i'd go uh, where i'd go and i did get a few offers Uh, i remember joe manny rang me from limerick then Turlock made contact with me for Dundalk and he was putting a side together up in Dundalk and we're well established players and yeah I wanted yeah, so I agreed very early on in that summer to, um, to sign for Turlock and I had signed for him and coming up to the start of the season I got a phone call from not a lot of people, not, probably no one no Rover supporters know this, I got a phone call from Jim McLaughlin to see would I consider coming back and I I would have of course at the time, but I'd already signed for Dundalk. And look, that's the way it goes. Um, I've no regrets now because of what I achieved up in Dundalk. Uh, from a personal, from a sorry, from a professional point of view, what I achieved up in Dundalk was was huge with Torluk and, and the lads up there.
2: But uh, it always
1: hankers at me mm, what 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 might have happened if Jim had to come in earlier in that summer. But there you go, that's that's football. And as I say, my time up in Dundalk probably. The best playing days I had as a player, I probably played my best, <laughs> not, you know, not my best football, you can't say that as a goalkeeper, but I think I was at the peak of my career, of my time up in Dundalk, because I joined them in about when I was 28, and I always feel that goalkeepers peak around early 30s, so the six, seven years I spent up in Dundalk, I think were the best years that I played uh, as a goalkeeper, uh, and we were successful. And it goes back to, again, where, where I said to you earlier, you have to, re- I had to re- reprove myself, both to myself and to everyone else and uh, to be successful at Rovers. We came in to challenge. Rovers were the only team but Dundalk, th- we started then to challenge. I remember we got hockey the first year. Uh, it was that 1987 cup final, 3-0 we were hockeyed. But the following year, th- then, then the whole Milltown debacle occurred. Uh, moving out of Milltown and Rovers were obviously very, very rocky at the stage. A lot of players left. So that was the end of Rovers in 87. And I'd like to think that in 88 we won a double with them dog. Uh, which was huge for us. Uh, and it succeeded. Like the previous three years Rovers had won the double. Was it uh, They'd won the League 4 on the trot. So that would have been 84, 85, 86, 87. And they won three cups. 85, 86, 87. So... Yeah, Dundalk was huge for me. It also re- I also got called back into the full international squad when I was playing for Dundalk as well. So yeah, great, great times up there.
2: You mentioned a couple of injuries you had, but at Dundalk you were Mr. Consistency. You rarely missed a game. You were ever present for four seasons in a row. You played 161 consecutive league games from 87 to 92. And during that time, keepers couldn't get lucky. And all there was was Stephen Henderson, the current Cove boss mm-hmm. and uh, Eddie Van Boxtel. Managed to get a few games in. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I was very lucky. Yeah, I was Mr. consistent. As I say, I was at my peak playing for Dundalk. I was at my peak, and um, many, many great there's Great players up there as well. And uh, Turlock was a very astute manager. Um, but yeah, th- I look back as again I say, as as old players, you look back and what you've achieved. And yeah, that's an achievement I look back on with that I did play so many consecutive games for Dundalk without any injury. And what it says to you as well as uh, when you're finished is that people believed in you, they trusted you, uh, but then also that you, you were able to to, to to repay their trust uh, and I was just very lucky. I was lucky with injuries as you say, at Rovers I had two bad injuries, I had a, the bruised kidney uh, and that kept me out for about three months and then I also had a knee ligament injury which ironically I was in the international squad at the time, Owen Hand was the manager. And we played Galway up in Milltown and I was to join the squad to go to Belgium or Holland I can't remember I think it might have been Holland for a game, midweek game uh, on the Wednesday and I got my knee twisted my knee and I was out for three months with that but uh, with Dundalk now it was consistent consistent every week yeah yeah very proud of that achievement
0: yeah. and did you did you know Eddie Van Boxel personally
1: yeah. Was he didn't. as mad as the rumors say
0: about
1: him? Yeah, I didn't know because we were I think Eddie was reserved to me for two years. Um I did know him. I did know him for them two years. I know one so- I knew one side of him. Um I knew the football side of Eddie, I knew the gregarious side of Eddie. Um nice lad. Uh but obviously made some very wrong decisions in his life. Um but the Eddie Van Boxel I knew, which was the footballer, uh he was, was a decent lad, mm. but as I say, he made bad decisions for himself, which are well documented, but that's life.
0: And Ray Tracy brought both you and Terry Everson from Dundalk back to Rovers in the summer of '93. Talk about returning to the club for a second spell, and did anyone see the title challenge coming?
1: Yeah, um, I think that all started. Ray was trying to put a team together, uh, and he had the basis of a team at Rovers at the time. The previous year, I remember... I remember playing in the RDS for Dundalk, uh, Ray was manager, and I think we won one nil. But I remember having a, a particularly good game for Dundalk that day. During the summer, and I remember then reading an article that Ray put in. There was, oh, there was some feature article in the Independent, and he, who would you not like to invite to dinner? And he mentioned me. <laughs> you know that'd be Ray's way. You know that'd be way his way of paying you a compliment. There was it was one of these questionnaires you know and he put in a said oh what's that all about <laughs> there was a lot I knew, right but anyway uh within a week I had a phone call from him that uh, so my contract was up at Dundalk uh I was 36 years of age so I was coming to the end of my career so he said would you like to come back to Rovers so I said jeez yeah I would I mean at that stage at six seven years I knew Dundalk where we were all getting old together so it was time for a breakup all right um, it was a tough decision to leave Dundalk because, as I say, I had some of my best years. I had my best years up there, but uh, I felt, yeah, I felt I'd unbi- unfinished business. I wanted to win the league at Rovers. You mentioned I was the only player to win the league, league cup, and FAI Cup with Rovers. I also won the the Tyler Cup, which is the equivalent of the Satanta Cup, so it's an All Ireland one as well. But um, Ray rang and said, "Would you?" So I said, "Yeah, let's go for it." Um, Terry signed he also signed Alan Byrne from Bowes and he signed Paulo Zan from Pats and he had on top of that he had some John Toll, Gino Brazil, Peter Eccles so he had a good side, he had a very very good side put together uh, so it was an exciting time, did I think I'd win the league I don't know, I don't think so because the previous year I don't think Rovers had qualified for the top six, the, the, the league I think broke into two, two uh, sections top six, bottom six and I don't think it over. I, I'm not sure, but I know they weren't challenging for the league the previous year. Um, so we started off anyway. And Ray wanted to play football. We talked about playing football, and he played a very, very exciting brand of football. Really, I look back. I have a video of the or a DVD of the the highlights from that year. And some of the football we played was just magnificent. And the spines
0: still going around YouTube. All yeah. of
1: the the. Stephen Gagan's goals yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Magnificent team. Gago actually was still there at Rovers at the time as well. So he brought in, as he, myself and, and Terry, and the spine of the team now was, the spine from goalkeeper to centre forward, you, you had Peter Eccles and Gino Brazil, two centre halves. Middle of the park, you had Alan Bourne and John Tall. And then up front, you had Gago and uh, Evo. You he also, had also Paulo Sam.
2: We talked to Alan Byrne briefly, you mentioned that he was
1: player of the year. He wasn't sure that he deserved it ahead of Gega. Who was your player of the year? It was a tough one. You'll always look to your goalscorer, won't you? But Alan Bourne was awesome that year. He was really awesome. He had a huge impact on the middle of the park. Very strong. And quite creative too. He wasn't, he wasn't all brawn. And then he also had an added part to his armory, was his long throw. Which was a thing we played on quite a bit between his long throw and Ozo flicking it on at the near post. So um, we, had a, we had a good side and started off to see, I think we won six, seven games on the trot, and I think at one stage coming up to Christmas, I think we were eight or 10 points ahead. The, the league looked over. But I think the thing about it, at that stage, as I say we like to play the ball on the deck, play football. The pitches then it was winter. It was the, the league started in September and finished in April. So the winter months were particularly bad. The RDS, the pitch wasn't made for soccer it was a it was a show jumping arena that's we what Get your horse it. injections yes we got our injections and we did but like you could go on a slide and tackle and you take half the pitch which and that's no joke like there's times where a fella went sliding and you'll end up with a, a divot of 3-4 foot long it was it was incredible so the start of the season I suppose the pitches were firmer much more conducive to good football and we uh, I think we won 6-7 games on the trot opened up a huge gap and then we came into the winter months December-January I think we lost 4-5 or 5 on the trot. one of them being I think we were beaten 5-2 at home by Galway so now all of a sudden from a, a, a position it's like, it's like you're reading a script Yeah, we, it's ha-
0: it's we have unfinished business you said you had unfinished business and now we're just about to talk about the 5-2 <laughs> yeah.
1: you came
2: off injured in that game
1: yeah yeah I, I think I can't remember what stage I came off injured I'm going to say at nil but it was, probably
2: wasn't and what was
1: that did you get flatter again I think i was doubtful leading up to that game i think i was doubtful and i think i did get a clatter and uh i knew i just couldn't continue on and I, it was only recently then that they'd introduced reserve goalkeepers on the bench i think there was a young lad called Redmond. i can't remember redmond, redmond yeah from arclo and he was thrown out he, he, that was his debut i think we were i think we were losing at the time i'm not sure but, um, never played for us again, again no he didn't but it wasn't his like, he was just thrown into it and we were particularly bad that day uh, it wasn't him, like, he was exposed he wasn't given the protection he should have been but uh, it was a sign of the, the, the trough the, uh, with the peaks of the 6-7 wins on the, uh, on the trot we then get into a trough of losing 4 or 5 on, on the trot and you think oh my god what's happening here but I, I, I think it showed character in the side it showed the character of the side that we could pick ourselves back up from it, and I think as the as the pitches started to improve, so did our football because we really did play good football. Um, you'd toll breaking from the middle of the park, you'd Alan Bourne, you know mopping everything up in the middle of the park, and then you'd Gago and you'd you'd uh, Evo and Oso up front. You know it was some lovely football. And Ray is often sort of said, you know, or Ray would often be accused of being a hard man playing centre forward for Ireland. Didn't play. He loved his football. He only wanted a game to be played. As. And a tremendous international player he was for Ireland too. Did he wear his heart on his sleeve? But um, uh, yeah, it was it was a great great feeling at the end of that year to have won the league. And he used a lot of players too. A lot of players that he picked up. I remember second last game, third last, no, third last game. I think we had to play Shelbourne twice in the last three games, and a lad from Ballybrack, Alan Dodds, scored two goals in Tulker Park, and we beat Shelts three nil. That would be a, a good Shells team. We beat them three nil.
0: So sealing the league against Shelbourne, going into that game, what was your mindset? Was it just take it like every other game, or was it right lads? We have to. Do we, did we change anything?
1: You never change. You never change. It was nearly called off. It was dreadful. Absolutely, it shouldn't have been played game should not have been played because there was water everywhere on the pitch and the RDS being the way it was, it just soaked. It just lay on top of the pitch uh, it shouldn't have been played because I've, I've seen, I remember looking at years ago and you just see the water spraying up, it should not have been played but it was because I, the reason it was played was that we were to play the last game, the last game of the season it had to be played the following Sunday and we were down to play Cork and I think everyone was hoping we'd be beaten because if we were beaten by shells it would have meant that the, the game went to the last game of the season because cork were i think cork were five points behind us going into that game uh, if we'd have got beat did um i think it would have been down to two i'm not sure but i i know everyone was hoping we get beat but we didn't we won 2-1 um and yeah then the celebrations began mm-hmm. yeah
0: and then we have a couple of memories here danielle toddy has a memory uh, and on a question she said Patrick and I it's our brother she said behind the goal in the RDS watching the game on the log jump Alan and goal Terry on the pitch along with a baby face Derek Tracy we used to have the Shamrock Rovers autograph book and run on the pitch and get them signed he said pitch invasion for most goals he said the best memories said, so did you enjoy playing at the RDS and was there a good relationship with the fans there
1: the relationship with the Rovers fans with me were always top 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 class Yeah, they meant a lot to me and um, I look I mean I think as footballers we're very privileged people. We're very, very privileged people. Um I was privileged to play for so many top teams, to play for Rovers, to play for the teams that I supported, to play for Dundalk. Very, very privileged position. So when you have supporters coming on and recognising you not recognising just who you are, but you know, wrecking you coming over, how are you? They're the life and blood of every club. The supporters are the life and blood. And if you don't wreck them back, you, know. you reckon that's lost on players nowadays? I think it can be I think um, particularly particularly if you look at the, the premiership in England like they're such a different breed the players are now from the people that who support them they're just on a different level money everything else we I noticed, noticed that breed. as
0: well we noticed that with the likes we had Pat Bourne in and we had he, he was telling the stories of like they'd go drinking with the fans after a game they're and they'd have a great relationship beyond a name basis
1: and it just, it just doesn't seem to happen anymore. Oh, here's another story for you. I remember playing, the early years, I think it was Giles was playing, we were playing down the markets field against Limerick and uh, just the relationship with the supporters and uh, after the match, I don't know whether we won or not, I think we might have won, but uh, the Limerick supporters were waiting for the Rover supporters after the match and not to wish them bon voyage on their trip <laughs> back to Dublin either, I may add. And I remember Big Deck, Big Deck is still Big there. Deck is still around big deck comes up to me and he wasn't i would say petrified would be a, a probably a diplomatic way of saying how he felt right he says to me what am i going to do I said, come on deck get on the bus mm-hmm. so big deck traveled on the bus with a spike mm-hmm. from that game <laughs> so his skin was saved <laughs> but th- that was the type of relationship that you would have with the sport you'd know them like and, and some of them that there, like i see mick Cairns up there and Mick's famous quote always is, Jay's. Oh, we've been
0: instructed not to call him Mick Cairns anymore. The, the whack. Oh, the whack. Okay, right. So that's how I, I, was, I was nabbed in the 1899 <laughs> suite. And, and he says, don't call me Mick anymore, call me the whack
1: okay. with a C. Right. Well, <laughs> the whack was Mick Cairns back then, believe you me. A very young, scrawny, pimple-faced <laughs> yak. <laughs> but Mick, Mick's famous quote was, uh, I always remember, it. if you cut me, he says, I'd have green blood.
0: Green blood. <laughs> and he was telling me about something in Limerick, actually it might have been that game itself when we were in we were in markets or markets field this season and um he was saying about those slates being taken off roofs and thrown at people, it was a massive big riot. That was probably the same mm-hmm. day.
1: What, what, that, was it. that was it. Not a not a not a nice place to be. I could understand Big Deck's feelings mm-hmm. alright. But yeah, but an awful lot of the lads I'd still see them if I go to Talla Lads were it's following Rovers and even following the i can say the same for them it's a way of life you know people they it is their way of life and they make so many friends i was reading about mick McCarthy there on, on one of the on yeah, twitter there during the week yeah and mick's saying about it he had problems and he had troubles but when he went up to Tala or he went up to milltown he went up to his friends and that's kind of says a lot. Yeah. He did go up to his friends. And it's a way of life. And people make loads
0: of Pines Mafia, as they're known as. They were yeah. present last night in Dirty. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: And great lads. And um, so we lost three big players to Shells the following season, including Gagin and Bourne. So what? Like, so you see this happening in football where you'd have a great team together and then just people just leave. It just They'd have a, a good coaching set up and they'd have great players and they'd won the league. And then they just just falls apart so what was the reason for
1: that do you think money (laughs) but you know like that's that's the nature of the game like i think it's hard for supporters to to understand in the sense that as i say to you and i know from from both you two lads rovers is a way of life rovers are your club will always be your club you'll always support them for players i was a rover supporter but then i got a kick in the teeth and i had to leave rovers and you learn quick you know, you have to do what's right for you as a player. Um, so, as a player, these two la- the, the two lads that left was was Alan Bourne and Stephen Gagan who Gag was player of the year, or Alan Bourne was player of the year, and Gago probably should have been, as you say. So you're two big players, but as players, you have got to say, look, what can you? Would you, do, if you're put in a similar position? I'm not sure what what jobs they had, but if you're offered big money, it's very hard at that, at that age to say, no, I'm staying here. They don't, It's yes, you do love a club to a degree, but a career is such a short span. Uh, span of, you might have 10, 12 years if you're lucky. So you have to make the right decisions for you and your family. So if they have families, young families at the time, money is presented to them. And they say, mm, and I think at the time, Shells were putting, Ollie was putting together, spending a lot of money, which I suppose in the end was their downfall, but they did have five, six, seven years of great great successful years under Pat and under, uh, under Pat Bourne Jim McLaughlin and Pat Fenlon but now look where shells are so that that was their downfall but yeah the, t- the players left and I felt if we had two or three more players coming in on top of them obviously we would have, I think we would have been back like the team of the, of the 80s to be on to be um, talked of at that level because the team of the 80s were the four years there the four years that they won the league they were a special special team uh, the likes of Pat Bourne Mick Bourne Mick Neville, they were great great players uh, great team but uh, yeah I felt if and I think Ray went on record saying that if he could get another couple of players on top of what we had we'd really really push on but look that's football that's the way it goes mm. um,
2: so just a few European memories I chose you know you made your debut in 1982 kept a clean sheet saved a pound against Ajax in yeah. 1987 Copernicus Cup so they're good memories but what about the other end of the spectrum Seven nil against Garnick in Poland, nineteen
0: like ninety five. Tell us about the penalty force, anyway. Tell us. I don't remember that. One.
2: Not playing that. No. no. <laughs> I was there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was there. Penalty against Ajax was a huge one, yeah, yeah. With Dundalk, that was a big, big one. Uh, the penalty, a fella called Spellboss. and I had we 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 played over in in Ajax first, and for an hour of the game, it was nil all. Nil all, and, but we were chasing shadows. I remember that was one game at that stage, IX never put the ball in the air at all. It was all on the deck. I had a creak in my neck because you were just going across the pitch, and mm-hmm. that's all you were doing. You probably can't see me on, the <laughs> on this, but you literally a headed move just going from side to side. They passed, they passed. Yeah, and then Frank Stapleton had signed for IX, and they brought him on with an air to go, and he changed it all. And we ended up going in 4-0. We got beat 4-0. They got four goals. We collapsed. It was at a time we played. Again, the League of Ireland season was was September to April, May. Uh, When we played in Europe, sometimes the European game was our first competitive game. So was you were at a huge disadvantage. I think the teams playing now, because they, their first European game is, they're at least halfway into the season, makes a huge huge difference. So we were cut raw. Fitness is another thing was uh, caught us that day. But then yeah, we we, we took them back. They came back to Oreo um, Park. Johan Cruyff was their manager at the time. Uh, big crowd. Well, no, the crowd was okay because we got hockeyed for. I think there was only three or four thousand. But yeah, saved a penalty. Had another had one of them mother and father of the game. They couldn't get by me until, until about, again, about an hour, 75 minutes into the game, Paul New attempted a back pass. Uh, ball was played. I was out edge of the box at the side. Paul was on the end line, maybe 10 yards off the end line. And someone passed the ball. And first time, without looking, he passed it back to me. Sailed over my head. Now, I heard comments after O'Neill was cut off his line. I want to make it clear. Goalkeepers should never be on their line. The only time a goalkeeper should be on the line is for a penalty. Because you always have to anticipate danger. I wasn't anticipating that danger, I have to say. So, uh, poor Paul still gets ripped over it. I think it's appeared on YouTube as well. But that was a great experience. Everton, you mentioned earlier, that was a huge experience. Uh, The first game uh, against Fram Reykjavik we actually kept two clean sheets I think we're one of the only I think it was done recently Dundalk might have done it recently we kept two clean sheets home and away I think we won 3-0 away and 4-0 at home so we kept the clean sheet and the tie that's still Rover's biggest aggregate win is it? I'm glad to be part of it and then the biggest one of the biggest <laughs> defeats you mentioned Kornig-Jabja yeah they did catch us on an off day not a day that I will remember with great fondness Um. Just every every time they attacked, they seemed to score. It was just one of them days. And look, you just got to take it on the chin. That's that's football, and you can't. Very disappointing. Very disappointing for the fans who travelled. Um, but look, that's that's football. You just you just took it on the chin. And Ray Tracy
0: was sacked in January 1996 after a terrible run of form, couldn't buy a goal, and yourself and Terry Eviston were appointed co-managers. Both 38 years old at the time. What was the conversation like? With the chairman, and how did that materialise so that you became manager?
1: Yeah, yeah, we were on. I think that we started with that Kornicki that we started that season. And I think there was a famous thing where we had been to America, and we came back with a virus. Um, there were a lot of lads had picked up illnesses, so to the start the season we started dreadfully. Whether we overtrained, I don't know what happened, but we weren't at the races. And then, as you say, we couldn't play a goal, and the defeat after defeat after defeat, and eventually. Uh, Ray got the sack. Uh, and like when I think of Ray Tracy, Ray Tracy, major part to play in my career, uh, big influence, uh, all all very, very positive. It was a time when I started out at Rovers under Gilesy. Ray always looked out for me, uh, then re signing me again at, at, at Rovers the second time. And always a fella that i could call into he didn't work he worked in star street and i worked in mulville street and i'd often drop in for a chat and uh great great memories of ray great great fella and as i say he was really good to me so i get a phone call out of the blue i'm in work and it's hi alan john McNamara here oh yeah john i thought he was ringing me up to tell me that ray had been sacked. he says that uh, would you be interested in taking over i said oh good jesus mm-hmm. i'm still playing now as i say i'm 38 and so never want to turn up a challenge. I said. Oh He says you can bring in whoever you want. I said okay. I said okay. I have to make one phone call first though. Uh, I'm not going to say yeah uh, until I talk to Ray because he was too good to me down through the years. Um, I wasn't going to go behind his back. So had um, he been um, sacked at this stage, you yeah, yeah, been, eh? yeah, yeah. he would been him. Yeah, It was known, and um, so I said I'm not accepting it, on it until I talk to Ray. I went to Ray, told him what had happened, that John had rang me to know, would I take it on? He says, of course you'll take it on. Uh, Of course you will. He says, you don't have any choice. But that's the kind of fellow Ray was, and that's the kind of support he was to me down through the years. So yeah, so now suddenly, going from being a player looking to the end of his career, I'm now suddenly going to be player manager of Rovers, the biggest club in the country. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is daunting. And I still wanted to play, because I still felt, for me, football was all about playing anyway. So I want to continue on playing. So I said to John, I said, look, I need someone, And Terry, I'd played with Terry uh, at Dundalk for years. I said, I want to get Terry in uh, as assistant. And then I thought, no, I can't really have him as assistant, because at the time, Terry was injured. And... uh, He'd been out for a good few months. I can't remember what had happened to him. I can't remember what the injury was. So I said, look, yeah, I can, we can organise training. Um, we had Eddie. Uh, Eddie was with us as well. And uh, he took the training during the week because I had to do my own training. But I said, I need someone on the, on the line. We need someone on the line to make decisions. I wasn't like Giles he was as a player manager that could sort of analyse what was going on at the time. I had to focus on my job. My job was being goalkeeper, was goalkeeping, defending, not on what's happening on the pitch. So I said to John, I said, we'll go in as co-managers. I said, Terry, you'll make the decisions on the line and uh, we can make decisions during the week and what we need to do and all the rest. So that's how it came about. Um, as you say, we were on a bad run. I think the first match we took over, I think we won, did we?
2: One-nil,
1: Dare Trace against Dundalk, and we went on a run. I think we went on a run of about seven, eight games undefeated, winning maybe six, drawn two, and we pushed ourselves right up the table. I think we finished third or fourth that year. Um, so yeah, things were looking rosy then. Uh, so here I am, 38 years of age. I'm not sure management was me, whether I wanted to be, but look, given an opportunity, uh, I wasn't going to turn it down we finished the season well so we started about the new season and then there was another bombshell John McNamara sold out uh, his shares in Rovers to a new electronics firm Premier Electronics took over Um, I'm not so sure what their motives were I I think they thought they could make money at Rovers I think that was their motives that they saw European football and all the rest but having said that they backed me they backed myself and Terry and we made a couple of signings. I remember we signed Tony Cousins, we signed Pat Fenlon. Uh, we were probably two players, we probably needed two more players, uh, but that's how it started off. And uh, again, so we went started a new season and it didn't start too well, it didn't start too well for us. I think I remember Shells beating us up in Tolka. Uh and then I think it was only three games into the season
2: yeah that's what we're going to get to next Uh, uh, Mark Willis sending the question was there any indication that yourself and Terry were going to be sacked so early because let's reveal you had a pre-season tour in the US Mm. then there was three League Cup games Mm. we didn't get out of the group then after your first league game of the season as you say lost 2-0 to Shelburne and Tolkien Park that would have been classed as a home game because we just left the RDS now Uh, you guys were sacked so I mean Rovers fans from our point of view they were
1: shocked Were you guys shocked? Yeah, we were. We were to a degree. To a degree. You see, you're dealing with the unknown. There's new owners in. Uh, And I knew at the time, I mean, Pat succeeded me. Uh, I knew at the time, Pat was very close to um, the new owners. And Pat was setting up the whole move to Tala. Setting up links with the clubs in Tala. So he was a major player for the new owners. Uh, Pat then being... One of the best ever League of Ireland players, and I mean ever. If you were to name the top three players, Pat would be Pat would be in it, ever to have played for over So he had that pedigree. Um, he obviously wanted to manage as well. Now, there was no, there was no, um, there was no great dealings with Pat at the time. But I knew he was close to the owners. Um, no, we didn't have an inkling. But I was actually shocked when I got the phone call uh, to come in and meet the owners. Mm. And they told me they were going to let us go. They they were relieving us of the managerial duties. Was Pat Byrne in the meeting? No, Pat wasn't at the meeting. But Pat was in the building at the time. (laughs) Because as I looked out the window, I saw Pat leaving the building. So I knew he was in the building. So maybe he was called in to to be told that he was getting the job. Look, that's football. Football, as I said to you before, you learn. There are no friends in football, and... You know, that's the way it is. He was given an opportunity. Why wouldn't he take it? Why wouldn't he? But I saw Pat coming out of it, so I knew the signs the, the, the were ominous. Uh, so I was still playing. And in fairness, the owner said to me, um, we want you to stay as a player. So I said, let me sleep. Let me think on that. never happens in football, does it? I mean, no. a player manager staying on his player. I've never heard of it. No, but again, as I say to you, I was coming to the end of my career. I was 38 years of age. I wasn't ready to finish. I didn't feel I was ready to finish. Maybe I was. Or maybe others thought differently. But um, I kind of sort of thought, you know what? I'll let you know. Give me a few days to think about it. Uh, and I'll come back. I think it might have been a Monday or a Tuesday. And there was a game the following weekend. And then, like as you say, we had a very successful time th- at the end of the previous season. We had done very well. Um, we hadn't started the season off well and so we knew that but like to be even considered to be sacked after three games or one league game three league cup games you sort of say it it's a bit of a shock to the system um, and then Pat came on the radio next day and saying how he's going to change everything that everything was done wrong and that kind of mm, that didn't sit well with me um, and of course a new manager will come in Pat of course new manager will come in and say I want to change things I want to do it my way and yeah he did, he did, of course he did, everyone does but kind of when it's sort of changing things that you had done, it hurts <laughs> you know, it did hurt uh, And but as I say, I have I know what football is about, you get opportunities you take them, but that kind of hurt, I don't think I could go back then after that was said um, I couldn't continue on playing so I rang up the chairman um, a couple of days later and said no I, I can't go back really, mm-hmm. I can't um, that's, that's the way it was and you're, as you said yourself it's, it would be strange as a, for a player manager to stay on but that kind of made me mind up but no hard feelings like that is football that is football that you've got to take these things uh, when, when, when they happen and uh, I took it on the chin and said right look that's the way it is move on
2: this question is just to satisfy my own curiosity to be honest but contractually were you treated as manager and assistant manager
1: because according to reports at
2: the time Terry was let go
1: 24 hours after you no no he wasn't no we were both let go at the same time okay. I was called into the meeting I was called into the meeting but it was uh, I was kind of fronting that end of things uh, but um, Terry was uh, I was told that we were both being let go okay. so that's no it wasn't too separate I'm, I'm not sure whether Terry went in to meet them as well but I, uh, I was on to Terry as soon as I was out the building so say listen we're gone end of
2: uh, how, did, uh,
0: how did Terry react to that? When you said to him, "Listen, we're out the door." What? Was he surprised? Was there a course? Of
1: course. <laughs> it, it came out of the blue. As I say, it was a huge shock. Um, we'd lost one league game. We'd put together. They'd given us, and in fairness to them, they'd backed us. And so we had to pay big money for Pat Fenlon and Tony Cousins, so they backed us. They backed us to spend money. And then all of a sudden, within three weeks, they're saying bye bye. So it was a huge. Shock. This new crowd that came in, and John mm-hmm. McNamara, has John had left during the summer. John had left. The new crowd so took back over. and we really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then they look, our face didn't fit, and you know Pat had done a huge amount of work for them in Talla, and I've now qu- I go into a pub now and have a drink with Pat Bourne, no problem. We we as I say, the same with Jim McLaughlin. You just you move on. That's that's football, and decisions are made and and decisions are taken and things happen and look I don't bear any grudges I would, given the same set of circumstances maybe I would have done the same you know I don't know I
2: have a statistic for you here so since 1988 here's our top three uh, managers in terms of like a winning percentage in the league so Mike O'Neill won 58% of his league games Alan O'Neill and Terry Everson 57% Pat Fennlin 55 and for those people interested where our recent manager said Stephen Bradley 49% Trevor Crowley 45 (laughs) so so statistically, the second most (laughs) successful manager in the last 30 years
1: statistics statistics and damn lies I don't know sacked
2: after one game our second most successful (laughs) manager ever
0: so uh, we'll move on now towards the end of your career you finished up with Sligo on the showground so Tell us a bit about your time there, did uh, did you enjoy
1: your last season in League of Ireland Football? It was funny, I got a phone call again the following week after uh, I parted ways with Rovers. I got two phone calls, the first phone call was Steve Cottrell who went on to manage in England. He was manager of Sligo at the time and he said listen would you sign for Sligo? Um, So we had a chat about it and all the rest and I said yeah okay let's go look. I reckon it is probably. I was coming to the near, It might be my last. And would season. that have been full time? No, no. So what way would it work? Would you relocate, or would you just travel down no, for training? Travel down the day to match. Travel down that day to match. Yeah. You day who would you train with? Uh, I trained with Dermot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we trained together. Um, we done our training. Yeah, that was never a problem with me. You'd never have to worry about me being fit or being yeah.
0: or doing my training. Like so you just turn up and play.
1: Up play, <laughs> yeah. Well, you couldn't find them Sligo, you know.
0: And was there ever like how did that go down with your teammates? I mean, sometimes that wouldn't be popular at all. Someone just walking in, they
1: could say, "Look at Billy Big Bollocks <laughs> coming in here." Yeah, I know, I know, I know. There is, there is that, but I think at Sligo, there was that—that that had been a situation that had been there for a while because you used to have Dublin lads playing for Sligo and they train here as a group I mean I think Dermot managed them at some stage I remember John Burke Fred Davis they used to train in Dublin and then travel down for the match I used to travel down and what was good about playing for Sligo was they played on a Saturday not a Friday still do yeah yeah Saturday night so I used to leave the house 12 o'clock have a uh, stop off I can't remember the name of the place I'd stop off Uh, stop off in some town pull into the park have a nap for an hour because mm-hmm. I liked me nap before a game and then drove on, continued on, had me pre-match meal with the lads and that was it. So that was my preparation. So, And you know, Steve Cottrell signed me but had left before I'd actually played a game because he didn't play me in the first two games. I was on the bench to Nick's Bruges. I think poor old Nick, the first time he saw me, he hadn't even realised I'd signed for the club and he saw me on the... What's he doing on the bench? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, Steve had left before he even played for him. Uh, so I finished out at Sligo. I picked up a few injuries I remember the, I remember the, the night I decided I wasn't going to be. I was finished. Um, what prompted that? Now, what made you say? Because that's a, that's a massive, yeah, massive one, yeah. decision. I was coming, yeah. Was. What? 39 years of age. I was coming up to my 40th birthday. Uh, I picked up an ankle injury uh, on the, s- the previous Sunday. We were. How long about. was it going to set you out for? How long were you so gone? This was it, Norm. This is this is what made me mind up. It was a Sunday. I mean, I mentioned about ankle injury. I mentioned about the use the, the cup final. Um, I remember going into to, uh, Noel McCaffrey one time, playing for Dundalk on a Monday with an ankle, black and blue, out to here like a balloon. And the first thing he said to me was, hey, I suppose you want to play next Sunday. I said, you're right, I do. And I did. So that's the background. So i done my ankle in. It wasn't a huge one. It wasn't a terribly bad one arrived down in Sligo on the Saturday night he says, well, are you fit? And I said, no, I'm not fit. Well I probably wasn't fit. Driving home that night, I said, you never would have done that five, ten years ago. You would have played with a broken ankle. Yeah. So I said, look, it's time. No. It's time. It's yeah. time. Uh, so that was the decision. But leading up to that, again, uh, you talk about my relationship with Rover supporters. Um, we played Rovers in the showgrounds, playing for Sligo. The usual lads are down supporting Rovers. The usual fifty one hundred were in the crowd. I don't think Rovers were doing. Pat was managing uh they had a good side, but I didn't I, I think that they didn't push on and win the league or anything. Uh and we beat them three nil. We Sligo beat Rovers three nil in the showgrounds. But again, the reception I got from the Rover supporters unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. You know, I you know, I I mentioned about you think back and things that happen and it's not all about playing, it's about people recognise you, people appreciate what you've done for the club. But it's two-way, it's what you've done, what, they've, what the lads have and done for to did a me. lot
0: of the team, in, in the Rover squads you played in, did did a lot of the team think like that as well, as regards to the fans? Or does it take a certain type of personality?
1: I don't know, I don't know, I think, I can only speak for myself, yeah. uh, I can't, I do know, I know fellas that I would be close to, you wouldn't be close to a lot of players, as I say, they're acquaintances, mm. Uh, the longer you play with them, you get to know them better. I know Terry, Terry would be one. Dermot would be another, who I'd know really well, obviously. Um, but I don't know. I think most of them do. I think it's different over here in, in, in the League of Ireland because you are closer to them and you yeah. get to know them personally. And I think that personal thing is, is huge. Um, but like my relationship with Rover supporters down through the years have been huge. Uh, and I can still, you know, you still meet lads that come up to you. And I remember this. And sometimes I struggle to remember the days that they're talking about. And then you realise, you know, you've been impacted on other people's lives. How privileged you are to it's be. It's great that family. you can say that. And you, you know how much it means to the fans. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And that's where I go back to what I said earlier. We're very privileged people. I'm Very privileged to be given a gift, to be good at something, a good goalkeeper. And then for other people to get enjoyment out of that. Hey, it doesn't
0: come any better than yeah. that. I mean, Sean Bourne, uh, a long-time fan, he asks, what's your favourite memory in a
1: Hoops jersey? Oh, that's a tough one. The first, the Cup Winners medal, yeah, that was big. I think winning the league, winning the league was huge. That was huge, winning the RDS. Uh, on that Sunday afternoon well that was the presentation winning the Dublin Derby as well probably yeah, the biggest double the Dublin Derby at the time and then the celebration afterwards it was kind of what was good about it was you won it on the Wednesday or Thursday and then you could s- go out and celebrate for the game on Sunday against Cork and we, we won that game as well so it was was there any bottles of champagne in the no, dressing room beforehand no in the Cork no, game very, disciplined, very yeah. disciplined no no not like talking about was it United when they won the league and they were all out drinking the first time they won the league under Fergie no no we did have a few drinks after the game against Shells believe you me we did but we went out on Sunday and we done the business as well great great times alright so are you ready for my stat go for it I've been crunching the numbers
2: all time clean sheets for Robbers number one Alan O'Neill 120 in all competitions number two Barry Murphy 119
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: he was so close <laughs> I bet
1: he didn't know
2: and Jody Byrne, 117. So yes, there's you three did. ex-keepers
1: here. No, I didn't know that. I absolutely did not know that. Um, I don't believe you. I think you did. <laughs> I do take pride in it. <laughs>
0: and uh, in your career, you won Ireland Amateur and Under 21 caps, 20 League of Ireland caps, including the 1988 Olympic qualifying campaign. But Alan Kinsella wants to know: how close did you come to getting a full Ireland cap? And how did you find the Irish setup? Because you were in a
1: couple of squads. Yeah. Yeah, being part of the international squads was just, it was a dream come true. I remember as a kid growing up, I remember being in town at one stage and um, the bus, the international team used to stay up in Exchequer Street, what's the hotel up? The Central. They used to stay up in the Central and Exchequer Street. I remember I was in town going to the match, I think they were playing in Lansdowne maybe at three o'clock and they were leaving maybe about half twelve. I remember the bus going by me. I think I must have been up around Trinity College, up around that way. And I said, God, I'd love to be on that bus. <laughs> I'd love to be on that bus. And when I was, I did remember that day. Um, being part of the international squad, it was, it was tremendous. Uh, as I say, Giles, he was, the one, he was the manager at the time. And he picked me uh, first. The first game was actually um, Daly Mount Park against the USA. Chris Hewton made his debut for Ireland that day. Um, and then there was, I can't remember what the second, oh yeah, I was involved also then. The second game was the the first meeting of the the North and the South in recent times, up in Windsor Park. Mick Cairns was in goal, I was reserve. Uh, what an intimidating atmosphere that oh was. Yeah. Oh my God, was I scared that night. Um, I was told afterwards that I was and goal whether I'd play or Mick it play and in the end because of the atmosphere because of where the game was because of the game Gilesy went for experience so they were the first and then then there was I
0: don't think there was any chance he was giving someone a cap or their force no, and
1: no, their no, first mean, cap no, no, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought so either but that's what I, I like the story suited my <laughs> yeah. way of thinking <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at the end of that season I think Gilesy packed it in and he had let the FAI know but there was two games coming up uh, he picked the squad, and he thought <coughs> they were going to let him continue on to manage. I was in the squad, uh, but they didn't. And uh, I, Alan Kelly, I think, played or managed after that. Yeah, Alan Kelly uh, for the two games, and he had told me he had told me I was going to play in one of the games. So that's how close I came. I didn't play. Alan Kelly picked the team own hand. I was in the squad with own hand, and then Jack Jack Charlton. When Jack came home, or when Jack signed as the Irish international manager, he picked a huge squad at the start. And in it was two League of Ireland players, myself and Pat Bourne. And uh, now Pat wouldn't have, or Jack wouldn't have seen either of us play. I don't know how we ended up. Pat, I know, would have been top, top player. Uh, yeah, I had, I had done well as well. But I think that we were tokenists, tokenisms, really, to say that, you know, we get two League of Ireland lads in and actually a funny story i remember we were going to train in the first day and we're sitting on the bus uh, we haven't met him now at this stage although we've been there all night and he's coming down the bus and jack in his thick geordie accent he says uh, myself and pat are sitting meek and mildly there on the bus and he says to me um you uh, of the two irish lads i said jack i thought we were all irish here," <laughs> but i was involved with two two, three games with Jack, didn't get a run on. I was involved with that famous game that Liam Brady was hauled in against West Germany when he finished his career and Jack Charlton called him in after 25 minutes so I don't think, while well, I was on the bench I think eight times with the international team and something I'm very proud of but if I have one regret, one little regret in, of my career and I don't have many um, is that I didn't get five minutes just to be able to say I was a full international, yeah. that would have been just the icing on the cake but hey no regrets that was my next question
0: so <laughs> nasty, he's like he has a script <laughs> <laughs> See,
1: one of the things about a goalkeeper is anticipation <laughs> anticipation is one of the biggest attributes he's of a goalkeeper <laughs> <laughs> I can't read anymore
0: yeah no he put the glasses on earlier you think so? you uh, funniest moment in football this is always a tough one people can never really take it off the top of their head but if you have one of your f- funniest moments
1: of football Funniest moments. I remember a photograph of me trying to catch a dog in Milltown. The <laughs> <laughs> photograph appeared in the paper the next day. You that on uh, what was the dog's name? No, it wasn't Cindy. Wasn't it wasn't, Cindy. No, it wasn't Cindy. <laughs> Cindy. I remember Cindy. No, this dog ran on it <laughs> stupidly. When I and the picture is in the paper the next day. Me, my father told me, I said what the hell were you thinking?" I said, "I wasn't letting that in boy." <laughs> <laughs> I think the funniest thing yeah. that happened that I saw on a pitch was. Uh, Rovers against Pats in Richmond Park Mick O'Brien was in goal for Pats Ray Tracy was centre forward for Rovers and the two of them ended up in a heap, no not in a heap the two of them ended up on the deck side by side and they looked at each other and Mick O'Brien kissed (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't (laughs) Uh,
0: best striker that you've played with in training and against on the pitch, now sometimes players can be fantastic in training and just can't turn it on. Have you ever had
1: that experience? One of the best stri- like that wasn't a Rovers player. Was Willie Crawley at Dundalk? Best reserve team player ever, ever. Was when he played in the B team, he was just awesome. And he did play. He did play for Dundalk. He did. He played some games, but never to that extent. Best striker. Oh, I don't know um
2: who tormented you Noel
1: larkin. no larkin <laughs> uh mick bourne uh, we had mick on there he loved that <laughs> yeah, he loved that mick was mick mm-hmm. no larkin two great lads i remember in the early days down in Waterford, a lad called sid wallace super sid he was a hell of a he was a hell of a player liam coyle at dirty. there was a lot of great strikers yeah. around a lot of great who's the best i don't know but um I never, I have to say, I never went out worrying about them. (laughs) What happened, happened. But a lot of great strikers.
2: Uh, Here's a question, actually. Who do you consider among maybe the best one or two keepers you've seen in the
1: League of Ireland since you retired? I better say Dermot first, because he was still playing when I finished. So definitely Dermot O'Neill. Oh, it's hard. Steve Williams had a great run up at Dundalk. Um... Gary Rogers at the moment consistently over the last 10, 15 years, 15 years has been uh, really, really good. And, and the way you measure goalkeepers is it's consistency. It's not about the flash saves or the top corner saves, It's it's the bread and butter stuff. It's doing it consistently. It's not making mistakes and we all make mistakes, but I think the best keepers are the ones who make the least amount of mistakes. Um, Brian Murphy I remember at before he went he be. he, maybe he was probably you'd have sort of Brian, Steve Williams and uh, Gary they would probably be the three and i probably miss someone they were obviously the
0: best but um,
1: yeah they would be them
0: no uh, Ray Al Petersay or uh, Oscar Janssen <laughs> <laughs> uh, pass
2: <laughs> well, you were the uh, original Big Al what do you make of the, uh, the current Big Al Alan Manis? would you
1: rate him highly? He's done really well for Rovers. He's done really well under Michael O'Neill. He has, yeah, no question about it. Uh, Again, an experienced player, an international player. He's done really well. And I think consistently over the years, he's done it. He's done it in three different countries. He's done it up north, he's done it here, and he's done it in Scotland. So consistently, he's done really, really well. Yeah, smashing keeper. Uh,
2: Who's your closest friend to this day who was a a Rovers
1: teammate? I still keep in contact with with several lads. Um, I still keep in t- contact with Terry, obviously Terry Everston, Robbie Gaffney, Noel Sinnett, uh, and Kieran Maher, who played for a few years as well. So I'd still keep in contact with, with with them. We might meet for a coffee. Not it wouldn't be regularly because we don't live locally, and some of them are on Southside but yeah they would be the lads that I would sort of bring up for a chat or play a game of golf or whatever they'd be the lads
0: and uh, Ruby Murray asks he says ask Alan how he felt taking up the Rovers job with a couple of games to go 2005 and did he feel like we had any chance of staying up and how did how did it materialise that you actually took the job
1: oh yeah obviously I did think we had a chance again it came out of the blue I in we office, some work and I got a phone call uh, from Jonathan want to know of well, firstly, I got a, a pre-phone call from Robbie Gaffney, saying, "Would you be interested?" Feeler, little tester. Yeah, feeler, yeah, yeah, little feeler. He says, "You have to." And again, Gaff didn't beat around the bush. You just have to. There's no choice here. So I said, "Okay, right, we go for it. Let's go for it and see what the story is." Did I think we had a chance? Yeah, of course I did. I wouldn't have taken if I didn't think we had a chance. But I knew we, uh, I knew we were up against it. I hadn't seen many Rovers games, so I didn't really know the players um so again i needed someone to come in with me who felt the same way about rovers that i did that didn't want this to happen so noel cynic came along with me um and yeah probably one of one of the grimmest nights was that night in Tulka park when we got b uh no did we we didn't lose the game we drew the game but we lost the game in daily mount one nil. when barry went off barry went off injured uh, at half, he went off. He'd done his ankle in and went off. Yeah, that was a, a big loss to us. Um, and he wasn't fit for the second game. Uh, and I remember I had terrible trouble trying to sign a goalkeeper. It was unreal, unreal trying to sign a You're goalkeeper.
0: You were going through team. the Rolodex.
1: I was. I remember I was very lucky. Um, I was working in the job I was in. The le- my boss was a Mad Rover supporter, which helped. Does help, yeah. <laughs> he said, I know what's at stake here. He says, He said, go into that office and I'll see you on Friday when it's all over. Mm. So, I'd no goalkeeper, we'd only one goalkeeper. John, I uh, can't remember the lads. yeah. I just about the name, them I, think I have to turn the script. Right? You yeah. know, Uh, there was Barry Murphy, John Blake, and John Walsh, yeah. John Blake, John Blake was the goalkeeper. Uh, hadn't I don't think he'd hardly played, so he needed a goalkeeper. He made a mistake in the first leg, too. Yeah, well, look, that's what happens, Um that's goalkeeping. But I needed a, go- I'd only Barry was now unfit, so we needed a goalkeeper. Um, so I'm in the office, racking me brains. Who can I sign? Who can? I Did keep? you not think? I'll jump in there. No, <laughs> no, too old. I'll be the hero. Too yeah. old, <laughs> definitely too old at that stage. Uh, Forty-seven, were they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roy, Roy was. Roy of the Rovers was dead yeah. at that stage. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, So I started ringing around started ringing around uh, what do you think uh, I even tried to contact Stephen Cluxton and there's a story about that I tried to contact him because I couldn't we were out of season so you couldn't sign a League of Ireland player because you're in the playoffs Had to be a free agent Had to be a free agent I tried to sign Alan Kelly well again not that I tried to sign him I tried to contact him he wasn't fit uh and i was told that he would have no no question he would have uh because i think i was taught talk- yeah i was talking to niall quinn niall quinn i was talking to he was giving a take out uh anyone like i rang yeah I'll, I'll see where i can come back to you uh, now alan couldn't do it he was he was injured uh i tried to ring Stephen cluxton uh couldn't contact him i got his number but i couldn't contact him uh and then, I'm in the office, this is the whole afternoon in the office, so you're going from, I'm going from 2 to about 6 o'clock making phone calls. And at about 5 o'clock, I haven't left the office now, I haven't left it, and I get a phone call from a journalist. Yeah, you? Hey, is it true you're trying to sign Stephen Cluxton? I said, sweetheart. You <laughs> not
0: lef- made
1: that phone call. I haven't left the office, how do you... I have ways and means. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll be honest with you, I am and if I do you'll be the first to know I said don't say it please don't it's not fair to Stephen Cluxton mm. it's not fair to anyone else or he said okay deal now it happened never, I never even and, he kept, and, he, and he kept his mouth he, yeah, never, you he never put out oh, fair play no. I have to say I, I tell you other stories of Irish journalists they are very the lads I dealt with very honourable lads yeah. I remember at one stage I won't give you the full story but something happened that one of the journalists got this file that he shouldn't have got and he knew he sh- he could have he could have made a fortune, and he handed it to me and he said, "Will you give that back to whoever?" I'm not going to say, and I, I don't want to say. Yeah. He says, uh, "I probably shouldn't see this," and very honourable. That was yeah. Paul Lennon. Um, but uh, yeah, so I hadn't left the, hadn't left the office, and now all of a sudden, I tried goal uh, another. Then Niall Quinn was telling me about a Kildare goalkeeper who was quite decent, and then I can't remember who I rang can't remember who it was and he said John Walsh is still playing he's still playing GAA John was playing for Bray Emmets he had finished with Bray Wonders and John was a very good goalkeeper and I had worked with him I had been goalkeeping coach down at Bray so I rang him I said John I need a favour yeah anything what I said I need you to sign for Rovers oh good (laughs) because he knew what was involved John played fair dues to him that was not easy to come in out of the blue, have not played a soccer match. Before. Thrown in the deep end, that literally was literally thrown, and he done really well for us that night. He done really, really well for us. Um, so that's how Joe Walsh ended up.
0: When you when you sum all this up, playoff was an absolute nightmare. You were going around a relegation playoff, racking your brain in an office trying to
1: sign a goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a that's just insane. <laughs> it was unbelievable stuff, and that's the. T- but you see, that's the, that's what goes on as managers. You. Supporters don't see what's going on. You d- they don't. They don't see what's what's happening off the pitch. How deals are done and all the rest. But yeah, that's that's what I spent. I remember that whole afternoon. I'll never forget it. But when the, uh, the reporter got on and said, "Is it true you're trying to say?" I said, "Oh my God!" Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, someone I had, but the place about. is bugged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who bugged this office? But there you go. Yeah. Uh, did you have
0: the chance to go back into management at that level? Did any offers
1: come your way? See, at that stage, I was goalkeeping coach with the Irish under-21 team with Don Givens. Uh, I'd been there for... I joined Don in 2002. I mean, I only finished it two years ago. Uh, So I had a job. uh, And uh, no, no one came back. And I think once you're gone, I was gone. When was it? I'd previously managed 19... What was it? 1996 Mm. for six months. That's all I'd managed for. I'd finished playing in 97. When you're gone, when you're gone out of the game for two, three years, your chances are gone. You know, you're, it's a t- the game has moved on, so no, no. And I'm not sure I wanted that. I, I wouldn't have wanted that. I'd have, I I loved what I was doing with the Irish under-21 team. Uh, and we had a lot of good goalkeepers come. Darren Randolph, I worked with him at the under-21s. So, uh, no, management was never a, a consideration after that, no.
2: Not even an inquiry between 995 no. and I'm sorry 96 and 2005 no no no,
1: no. no but I I, I kind of put it out there I w- it wasn't for me I had a taste probably you know like what happened w- at Rovers when I left as manager you know probably in the long run you look back and say you know it's probably the right thing you know how it happens, maybe not the greatest way in the world, but look, like, that's football, that's life, you just mm-hmm. take it on the chin. And you look back and you say, had you any regrets? No, I've no regrets, I've no regrets on that front, i had done what I thought was right, I picked teams as I saw, they should be picked, we trained as I thought, so I've no regrets on that front, no. no.
2: And uh, you've been seeing Natalia many a time, uh, watching the hoops, you still try and go to the games and what do you make of the, the current team, any thoughts on it?
1: I haven't been there this season I have to be honest I haven't been there I haven't been Tala several times either. I haven't been there this season I think this season has been a, it's been a disappointing season for Rovers I think and, and yet there they are third in the league probably a chance of Europe a good chance of Europe but the gap between Rovers and Dundalk and Cork is still too big for my liking uh, to me Rovers are a, are a top top team now I know things are happening uh, underage levels academies and all the right and that's what you want but let's be honest, Rovers is about winning leagues. It's about winning FAI Cups. So that's got to be disappointing, all right. But they're, they're on a good run at the moment. Uh, they won five, four or five on the trot, albeit after a very disappointing Cup exit and, a, a, a cup and a, another disappointing defeat to, to Bowes, the enemy, the big enemy at Tala. Maybe things will move on from next year, but I'd like to see them. I'd like to see them winning something. I mean, we haven't won the cup since what is it 1987 87 and yet we've won the cup more times than any other club 40 years 41 years or 31 years 31 years far too long for Rovers uh, and I'd like to see them more competitive with Dundalk like they were out of the league too early for me um, but yeah maybe next year maybe next year I don't know we're another couple of, t- couple of players but who knows
0: is there any current players in
1: the league world that you'd like to see Rovers sign Anyone that impresses you? I mean, you could look at a lot of players on Dundalk and a lot of players on on Cork. Uh, whether they can financially afford them, although they did manage to to get Ronan Finn off Dundalk, but a lot of there's a lot of good players in the, in them two sides. Yeah. There's no question about it. They're they're the top. Th- I mean, Dundalk at the moment. What Stephen Kenny has done up in Dundalk has been phenomenal. Uh, I mean, what has he gone for his fourth league now? He's practically won his fourth league in five years
0: we were only talking about their turnover of goal scorers that they've had and we kill for that I mean they've, I think they had Hoban, Richie Tell yeah. McMillan yeah. Hoban again Like yeah. th- their turnover of goal scorers is, is, that is it's 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 stunning <coughs> that reminds me of the Rovers team of the 80s we spoke about that we said yeah. it was quite similar to them because they had yeah. Buckley Campbell,
1: Campbell. Larkin and you know very similar a turnover. and I think there's a lot of similarities too between Stephen Kenny and Jim McLaughlin like Jim never rested on his laurels there was always two, three new players in every year and they weren't just any players, they weren't up to make up numbers they were top, top players, so there was a steady turnover, there was pressure for places, you were never guaranteed anything kept so on your toes the whole time, so what Stephen has done up and down, it must be some disappointment that Rovers, like that maybe he wasn't given the chance, he should have been at Rovers um, when you see what he has done up and done Uh it's been phenomenal, phenomenal what he's done
0: yeah you, mu- you might have noticed that we sound a little bit off and um, I've been saying to some of the guys recently that we, we're going to need new equipment so we're actually recording on a handheld mic today our other mic is uh, it's I think it's going to go bang soon enough so we're going to hopefully invest in something in the next week or so so that will explain the, the audio this week um, but that is it for this week or uh, this Monday madness we thanks very much Al for showing up some Rowers. fantastic stuff, and uh, we'll see you all at the five side where we're hosting a five side. We actually might need a keeper if you fancy. <laughs> days <are> long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have we have a five side. We're hosting a, f- a Rollers fans five side in the Rollstone on Saturday, and uh, the management team have a team in. Uh, I think the academy co- coaches <laughs> have a team in. Some all fans have teams, in it's going to be a fantastic <laughs> occasion. So
1: uh, we look forward to that, and. Uh, thanks for coming in lad. No, um, listen thanks a million for you uh, from my point of view it's been an absolute pleasure because you don't get much chance to talk about your career now at this stage because too many people have forgotten you so to relive some of the memories that I've relived today have been yeah special I've enjoyed it thanks a million lad. No it's problem. both of you no, that's keep on helping lads thanks see you
0: Today I'm a two-time girl I'm gone away I'm a time girl One for tomorrow One just for today I'm a two-time I'm gone away One time, do not speak, love me one time, yeah, my knees got weak, love me two times, girl, love me do the week, love me two times, I've gone away. I'm a cute giant, I'm gone
1: away.